Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. You know what I'm going to say next? I need 90 minutes of your time so I can allow my broadcast partners from around the world to let you know what's going on from a current events perspective, and then we'll put that together with God's prophetic scenario for the end times and see how close these two are coming together. Better in focus is God's plan for the future as written by the ancient Jewish prophets. We're going to Ken Timmerman. We're going to catch him on the road traveling back from a big conference that he just spoke to, and we're going to do that in a moment. But let me remind you, we've got other broadcast partners as well. Dr. Don DeYoung, you remember he's our in-resident scientist. We're going to talk about a interesting glacier that is growing instead of melting. It's over in Greenland, and this is somewhat of a contradiction to global warming. You don't want to miss that conversation. And then David James and I will have a conversation about an author. This lady has sold over 10 million books, and maybe you need to understand what she is actually saying in the books. So keep the dial set right where it is. We'll get to these other broadcast partners in a moment here on Prophecy Today. I'm going to go now to Ken Timmerman. I said he has been speaking over the last couple of days. He's on his way back home. And Ken, thank you so very much for stopping. we got to catch you. You can run and hide, but uh, we're going to find you one way or the other. Let me get right underway so you can get back on the road and make your way back home. Russia has come out against the Golan move, and in fact, they have said it will lead to new tensions in the Middle East. They will be ratcheted up, and they're afraid to even predict what might happen. What about Russia's statements on the Golan Heights and the decision by the Trump administration? Well, the Russians clearly aren't happy with the presidential proclamation that the United States would support Israel's sovereignty on the Golan Heights. They are the biggest supporter of the Syrian regime. They are also allied with Iran today in Syria. And the Iranian president, Rouhani, also voiced his opposition to President Trump's support for Israel. But frankly, these are, for the time being, they were predictable. They are meaningless insofar as the U.S. and Russia are staying apart from each other on the ground inside Syria. Ever since the one military confrontation we had about a year and a half ago, U.S. troops on the ground killed about 200 Russian contractors. The Russians have respected our positions in Syria, and uh, I am uh, pretty certain that they're going to continue to respect our positions as time goes forward. So this is a verbal assault, but it is not a military affront. Yeah, at this point in time, it's not a military affront, but possibly with Iran, it could be military action in the near future. You mentioned Iran's President Rouhani slamming this U.S. decision on the Golan Heights and its recognition of sovereignty. I mean, they have a, a real reason for doing that because they're perched maybe two and a half miles north of the Israeli border there in Kenetra. They're ready to come in, take over the Golden Heights, and use that as a launch pad to take the rest of the state, the Jewish state of Israel, are they not? Well, that's absolutely right. And I think that is, in fact, exactly what prompted President Trump to make this proclamation. It was to thwart the Iranians, at the very least to lay down a marker to the Iranians, to let them know that we were fully behind Israel, not just Israel as the state of Israel, as the international community recognizes its borders, but 
also the Golan Heights, which Israel uh, has annexed and been for many, many years. So this was a clear U.S. message to Iran. We will not allow you to get closer to the state of Israel. Now, are the Iranians going to listen? That's another story. Uh, uh, I think, you know, as we've discussed many times on this broadcast, Iran's strategy is to surround the state of Israel. So they now have forces in Lebanon with Hezbollah. They have forces in Gaza uh, with Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad. And they have their own forces and proxy forces in Syria. So they're trying to surround the state of Israel, and they're looking for a pretext to uh, launch an attack that could be devastating. Well, in light of the decision by the Trump administration on the Golan Heights, I understand the United States is boosting its forces, its military operations, in both Iraq and Syria. What do we know about that? Well, here's the conundrum for you, or the conundrum facing President Trump. On the one hand, he does not like endless wars, and I don't think any American likes the notion of endless wars in the Middle East or or elsewhere. On the other hand, we are facing enemies who are endlessly at war with us. So how do we block them? How do we check them, if you wish, or contain them? And the way you do it is what uh, the president has done now. Rather than pull all of our forces out of Syria, he is reinforcing positions along the Syrian border inside Iraq, withdrawing a bit from Syria, but reinforcing those positions in Iraq to make sure that the United States is in a position we have eyes and ears on the ground so we can watch what the Iranians are doing uh, as they move through Syria to prevent them moving troops across the land bridge from Iran across Iraq into Syria. And if we see them doing those things, to then use our uh, air capabilities to interdict them, or at least inflict very heavy damage along with the Israeli Air Force. You know, Ken, as I've been listening to your answer to my questions, I think of all the peoples and the countries that you're mentioning, and they're all written right there in Bible prophecy by the ancient Jewish prophets. It's interesting to see how the players are all coming on the stage at this time. I'll get to that in more in-depth when we take a look at the book just at the end of today's broadcast. Well, what about Iran? I hear there's a statement being put out by the Iranian leadership. They stand ready to restart their nuclear weapons program. Did they ever stop it? That's my question. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think your question is more to the point, uh, and I think the answer is simple. No, they did not ever stop it. Uh, they went underground. We know that for a fact because of the actions of Mossad and the revelations of what Mossad found at secret Iranian nuclear warehouses outside of Tehran, uh, where Mossad took away hundreds of tons of materials that showed that the program, the Iranian nuclear military program was ongoing. What's happened this past week is that the U.S. Treasury Department has sanctioned most of the leading officials in the nuclear program in Iran, as well as some of the front companies they use to procure technologies. This is a symbolic gesture because none of them are doing business in the United States. But what it does is put U.S. allies on warning on notice that if they do business with any of these individuals or companies that they face U.S. sanctions as well. That's important. The Iranians responded to that by saying, well, you know, we could just restart our nuclear weapons program anyway. But the U.S. is watching. The U.S. is being very careful to make sure that we have as close uh, uh, eyes and ears on those key Iranian 
nuclear research uh, officials and their companies as possible. Well, you know, that almost explains the, the headline coming out of Iran this week that I read, Iran's new long game outlast President Trump. <laughs> that sounds like a good strategy if they're going to do anything at all. Well, at this point, it's their only strategy because they really don't have a, a winning hand uh, today. Uh, I was just talking to some people this week about Rob Levinson, the former FBI agent who was kidnapped in Iran over 10 years ago now and is being held by the Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps. At least that's what most people who are following this believe. And uh, the Iranians have him as a hostage to trade with the United States. They realized with President Obama they did not need to trade Levinson, who was their king of hearts, if you wish. They had a couple of low-level U.S. hostages they could trade, and they got everybody out of the U.S. they wanted. Now they got Levinson, they consider him the key hostage, and the Trump administration is not willing to negotiate with them, is not willing to give them anything. President Trump has told the Iranians through channels, you will return our hostages or else. And that's got them very worried, because they don't have a negotiating partner in President Trump who's willing to do what Obama did, which is essentially give away the store in exchange for nothing. So the only strategy for them is, as you say, is a waiting game to wait until President Trump leaves. But I got news for them. It's not going to be in 2021. It won't be till 2025. <laughs> oh, is that a prediction? I didn't know you were a prophet. Well, anyway. <laughs> that, that, that's a prediction, Jimmy, based on sound political science. And uh, I don't think the Iranian regime is going to outlast Trump. I think President Trump will outlast the Iranian regime. Yeah, I'll have to go along with that. And we're going to put this in the archives, and we'll play it in 2021. Talk to me about, and let's change the scene just a little bit akin to Libya. Their strongman, Hafter, made a visit to King Salman there in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. What's this all about? Is he trying to get more power there in Libya? Well, Haftar is an interesting figure. He is an anti-Islamist. He has been fighting ISIS and the remnants of al-Qaeda. He's restored some semblance of normalcy to Benghazi and the uh, eastern parts of Libya. But he's also in a rivalry with the European-backed government in Tripoli. President Obama, when he was in office, tried to marginalize Haftar because President Obama was supporting the Islamists who had taken over the country. President Trump has not yet taken sides. He hasn't waded into the Libyan debacle yet. And so the Russians have kind of engaged in that scene. They are supporting Haftar, and the Saudis are supporting Haftar. The good news in this is that with Haftar in Saudi Arabia, I think he will have an easier time going through King Salman of Saudi Arabia to get the ear of President Trump. And in my view, we ought to be supporting Haftar as a force of stability in Libya after that country was wrecked by President Obama and Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. And by the way, that is not a political statement. That is a statement of fact. Remember, I was in Libya in 2004 when Gaddafi turned over his nuclear weapons production material to the United States and when he pledged to become an ally of ours in the fight against Islamic extremism. And he was an ally of the U.S. and the West against Islamic extremism right up until the United States switched sides and supported the Islamic extremists against Gaddafi. And we'll stay on top of this story and all other stories that we've discussed with Ken Timmerman today. He's our broadcast partner that looks at geopolitical activities all across the world. He does an excellent job on top of it. 
and we catch him even when he's on the road traveling. Ken, drive safely as you do, and we'll catch you again next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, it's a Middle East news update all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. As promised, David Dolan comes to this broadcast table with his Middle East News Update. This is a region of the world we always want to stay on top of. What is going on there is key as their current events slip into the prophetic scenario that's found in Bible prophecy. Now, we have these conversations with our broadcast partners, and then at the end, the last eight minutes, I take a look at the book. So stay tuned for that. It's upcoming. We'll say how all of these current events actually are setting the stage, literally, for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. David, a lot of activities going on. The Israeli Defense Force on high alert as the tensions have been ratcheted up uh, there at the border with the Gaza Strip. And uh, today, a very active day in that part of the world. Talk to me about what's happening and what is the meaning. Are they doing this only in light of the upcoming elections? Or are they trying to really start the beginning of the end and wipe Israel off the face of the earth right now? Well, Jimmy, nobody can say for sure, apart from uh, Hamas leaders and Iranian leaders and others, but the evidence certainly suggests that they have determined to ratchet up the violence, ratchet up the tension. Of course, it's been a year now since the Million Man March, uh, as they're calling it, began on land day last year, 
Now, Land Day, Jimmy, the last day of March every year, they commemorate the Palestinians due to the 1976 incident in the north of Israel, not in the Gaza Strip, but uh, up in the Galilee area, where six Palestinians were killed in several days of rioting and trouble that began after there were some land confiscations by Israel up in the north. So every year there's trouble, there's uh, rioting, there's protests. But this year, the Palestinians called for an especially large and angry demonstration demanding basically Israel cease to exist, <laughs> essentially, because they want their their ancestral family homes back. Now, this is, in most cases in, in the Gaza region, these are the children or grandchildren of refugees. They themselves did not flee homes or anything. They were born and raised in the Gaza Strip, but... Many of their ancestors did have homes in in the Galilee or in Tel Aviv area or in Jerusalem and these areas. And then during the 48-49 conflict and again in the 67 Six-Day War, hundreds of thousands of Palestinians left their homes with the promises from their leaders that were leading the war. We've got to remember Israel didn't declare war on her neighbors. It was Syria, it was Egypt, it was Iraq, it was the other Arabs, Jordan, that went to war, Lebanon, against Israel. And they promised these Arabs that uh, they would soon be returning to those homes. Well, it didn't turn out that way. Israel won uh, both the 48-49 war and the 67 war, miraculously, in the case of the second war. And we've had trouble ever since. But so every year there's this going on. But this year in particular, with uh, nearly 200 Palestinians having been killed over the last year, in the Gaza Strip due to the violence there. An Israeli soldier also killed with the uh, rocket attacks of recent weeks coming out of the Gaza Strip and audaciously uh, attacking the Tel Aviv area where a majority of Israel's 8 million citizens live in that coastal area. This is a, a red line that Israel has said cannot be crossed. And it does look to me, Jimmy, like we will have a full Israeli military operation in Gaza. Now they're going to, as the Prime Minister stated on Thursday, once again, he's going to try to avoid it. He said, we don't want this. We have an election coming up in, well, now it's about 10, 11 days, on April 9th. We don't want this. We can't say that we're eager for this, but we also don't want these continuous attacks, these rocket attacks, the incendiary devices. So there were again on Friday some more of those uh, deliberately sent into Israeli fields and homes to try to set things on fire. And in recent months, they put bombs on them, actual small bombs that explode. One exploded next to a child's bedroom window in a Jewish community near the Gaza Strip, sending the child into a complete panic. So this is just, you know, going on, but it does look like it's part of the wider Iranian decision, as we've discussed now for nearly half a year, the evidence mounting that Iran has decided to uh, carry out its vows to destroy Israel, to at least attempt that, and they continue to arm Hezbollah in the north heavily, an Israeli strike against Iranian positions once again in Syria this week, in Aleppo, uh, where they've moved their operations, mostly, Jimmy, from Damascus further north to the city of Aleppo. Israel struck there. So uh, continuing conflict is just a question of when, really, when, not if, it will go into a full-scale war. But again, Netanyahu trying to avoid that before the elections. But 
It really depends on the Palestinian behavior to tense times indeed. Meanwhile, the Egyptians, uh, the ones who are trying to mediate a ceasefire, are shuttling back and forth between the Israelis and Hamas. Is there going to be any success in those discussions that are going on, or is that just a waste of time? Well, Jimmy, we've seen this movie so many times <laughs> yeah. uh, before. So, yes, they do usually succeed in bringing a period of relative calm before the next explosion. That's just the way it's been. And, you know, again, we've got to remind our listeners that Israel didn't create Hamas. Israel didn't kick the Palestinian Authority out of the Gaza Strip and replace it with Hamas. It was Hamas that did that in uh, 2007, and they've controlled that strategic area since then. And every several years, we have a full war. Every several months, we have rocket attacks. Uh, Constantly, we have cross-border action along the uh, border fence. We've had this Israeli blockade to keep weapons out. And we've had Egypt time and time again, trying to bring calm and other parties as well, but mainly the Egyptians. President uh, Sisi in particular has been helpful, but it just brings a temporary solution. And the opinion polls all show, Jimmy, that the Israeli public, the vast majority, are not eager again, but ready for a full war with Gaza. And indeed, they know it's going to probably involve Hezbollah. After the rocket attacks on Monday in the Tel Aviv area, Hamas sent a delegation up to Beirut that met with Hezbollah's leaders, Nasrallah and others, to discuss their support from the north. So we know a war is coming, and we know a war with Iran is probably going to happen, and Syria will probably get involved. And as you and I have discussed, the Other questions are, will Turkey get involved? Will Russia directly get involved? Will the U.S. get involved? And uh, President uh, Trump, during the White House ceremony this week, early this week, formally recognizing Israeli sovereignty on the Golan Heights, he basically said that the U.S. is prepared to take on Iran and recognizes their nefarious actions are ongoing. Um, uh, Mike Pompeo commented on this again. So it does look like a full war is going to happen. It's just a question of when. And, you know, the Egyptians are not eager for it either. It will affect them negatively and the whole area negatively. But as I've said so many times, Jimmy, it takes two parties to make peace. It just takes one to make war. And the Iranians and their allies, Hamas, Hezbollah, and these others, Syria, have decided on a war against Israel, basically, or so it looks. And it's going to have to be met at some point with a major response, whether that's now or postponed a bit, we don't know, but it's certainly going to happen at some point, at least all the evidence would suggest that, and you and I know that biblical prophecy speaks of that as well. Absolutely. That's exactly what I was getting ready to say. Let's talk a bit about that opposition to the Trump declaration last Monday of Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights. It's great for Israel, but uh, the opposition are becoming very loud and very clear that they do not like that decision. No, it was only the United States, Jimmy, alone, and and really only President Trump, because uh, even many members of the Democratic Party and even some Republicans have been at least skeptical of it. 
But the U.N. did meet on Wednesday, and uh, 14 of the 15 Security Council members condemned the Israeli presence on the Golan Heights. Whether the world condemns it or not, Israel it does intend to stay, and President Trump recognized that fact. We have to say, though, that it certainly does ramp up the chances of that full war I was just discussing coming, and it certainly means that Syria is likely to be a major player in the next major war in the region, and we've always assumed that, but it now can be said that that is very much going to be the case. And of course, it may start over the Golan, or it may start over Gaza, or it may start over Jerusalem, or it may involve all of them. We just don't know. But it's coming at a certain point, and the world is united in its stand against Israel being in the Golan, but God has a say in it, too, and the U.S. certainly remains a major power, and the Israelis are very grateful for that uh, recognition. God is in power. That's the ultimate statement that you just made, David. And one of the reasons we come back to you on a weekly basis is to see what is happening in that very unique region of the world. We must stay on top of that information. David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East for us with his Middle East News Update. David, thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. Glad to do it, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Winky Madad standing by. Do you know that the Prime Minister just visited Shiloh, hometown of Winky Madad? I'll tell you why. It's upcoming in a moment right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. It's our worldwide headquarters, and we operate out of here across the United States in a number of network stations and then around the world on the Internet. And from this location, now we're going to take you to Shiloh. It's in the area of Judea and Samaria, where the Jewish communities are located, and some refer to it sometimes as the West Bank, a derogatory term. I want to continue to exhort you not to use that terminology. Use biblical terminology, Judea and Samaria. And we're going to bring to this broadcast table Winky Madad, one of our favorite broadcast partners. Winky, I understand not only are we visiting you through electronics today, but in addition to that, you had a former presidential candidate, uh, a man who was governor of Arkansas, has his daughter at the White House as the spokesperson for President Donald Trump. We're talking about Mike Huckabee. He was out 
visiting with Prime Minister Netanyahu, came out to there at your place in the area of Shiloh, where the Ark of the Covenant rested for about 350 years when the children of Israel came into the Promised Land. Then he went up into the Golan Heights. I bet that was an interesting visit. Yes, it was, Jimmy. We're very pleased. Uh, actually, to tell you the truth, it's not the first time that Governor Mike has been out by us. He's been visiting us several times over the past couple of years. Uh, he's also played guitar with uh, some of the Hayovel people, the uh, Christian volunteers, the Vinters out here, who are doing very good work. He came to uh, Tel Shiloh, got an explanation with Prime Minister Netanyahu at his side, and then the both of them planted a tree. I just got a video clip on my phone the, on his program. He mentioned it uh, very well, mentioning Samuel and Hannah and a few and the tabernacle, of course. So, combined with his visit, and I understand there was a story yesterday in the New York Times about Tel Shiloh. So, uh, you know, you're on the level of uh, some of the biggies there, there, uh, Jim. Well, some of the biggies. I would have to consider you a biggie, having <laughs> Mike Huckabee and the Prime Minister of Israel at your place and you in on the discussions talking about a site that has been dear to your heart for many years. And it's opened up for people, not only the governor, former governor, and the Prime Minister of Israel to visit, but anyone in that area is welcome to come, are they not? Absolutely. We get, Jimmy, several tens of thousands of non-Jews who come out uh, to Tel Shiloh, probably upwards of about fifty to 60,000 a year from all over the world. And uh, we're glad that we're able to present uh, the, not only biblical history, but the science of archaeology and life of the people that comes out of the ground. What a great opportunity for you, Winky. We're so proud to be associated with you and the community of Shiloh have been for a number of years doing radio and television from that particular location. Well, you said then that the Prime Minister and Mike Huckabee went on over to the Golden Heights. I want to get your reaction right off the bat on the Trump Declaration that the Golan Heights should be under the sovereignty of the state of Israel. What's your first thought about that? Well, I think it's a recognition of two things. It's a recognition of the right of Israel when attacked by a, an aggressor in a defensive war to hold on to the territory if it desires to. And as you know, and I think several of the people listening on this program, the Golan Heights is a strategic geographic entity in terms of overlooking the Sea of Galilee, what we call the Kinneret in Hebrew, uh, dominates the entire north of the country, and if you add to that the activity of Syria, who does not want to make uh, peace with us at all, and almost taken over, I would say, by Iran, because of what Iran has been uh, doing in there, both using Hezbollah fighters and sending their own revolutionary guard forces in there and trying to take over the territory in order to bomb a rocket or missileize Israel from that strategic location. That territory is not going back to anybody who is an enemy. And I live in Shiloh. We just discussed that two or three minutes ago. There's also a long history of Jews in the Golan Heights from Talmudic times, so that uh, we also have an historical claim. Well, I can remember immediately coming to my mind would be the book of Joshua, which is the record of the children of Israel coming into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. And it mentions a number of times, in particular, look at Joshua chapter 20 and verse 8, where it says that Joshua gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh 
the Golden Heights or Bashan, the location in the Hebrew language. And you've just explained the really important reason for Israeli security and control of the Golan Heights, but why sovereignty over the Golan Heights? What does that really mean? Well, that basically means that it takes off the table, to use a phrase that has been used also by President Trump, that after 50 years of uh, going on 51 years now uh, since the Six Days War, or more, 51 and a half years, and 70 years of, of statehood, in which none of the Arab aggressive states have been willing to make any sort of peace to Israel, it, it becomes obvious that someone has to tell the Arabs, you lost. Uh, Israel has won. And that translates into the fact that we're going to keep the territory that we have not only a historic uh, uh, connection with, but also uh, legally in terms of international law. I mean, no one goes around telling Russia they can't take, uh, they have to give up some of the territories they have, or the United States, for that example. Israel is a unique nation, Jimmy. We've discussed many of the of the characteristics of this, or the special characteristics of the state of Israel, and being in the land of Israel. But we also want to act as normal nations do around the world. And part of that is saying, very sorry, we gave you 50-odd years or more to make peace with us. You're not going to make peace with us. We need that territory. And uh, that's the final statement on the matter. Well, when we talk about uh, the Jewish communities are sometimes referred to as the settlements, in what many call the West Bank, another derogatory term, as I've mentioned, you uh, could possibly see how in the near future the area of Judea and Samaria might also receive the approval of the United States as if they need it. But if indeed they wanted to, they could uh, agree and make a declaration that Israeli sovereignty over Judea and Samaria should be the case as well. Do you think this could lead to that? It could lead to that. It could lead also, I have to take it into consideration, that the Palestinian Authority might wake up and say, wait, we're going to lose everything here if we don't get back to negotiations. I don't know what those negotiations will evolve into, or what type of plan, or what type of borders, and what type of arrangements. But you would think that if the Arabs, uh, who call themselves Palestinians, look around and seeing that the Syrians have lost, and Egypt and Jordan has made peace already, uh, and they're the last ones on the line, either they come in or they lose. They, they want to be principled, they want to be uh, extremists, they don't want to recognize Israel or the uh, Jewish national identity, that's their decision. But sometimes people have to pay. And I think that, going back to something I said before, Israel is abnormal sometimes in a very good way, but it also wants to be normal in the sense that if no one wants to make peace, if you're an aggressor and you keep it up, you're going to lose a war. You're going to lose a campaign. And I think that's a very important message, actually, that the Trump administration is sending to the Middle East, uh, that we're willing to go with right and not with oil or other types of influence that the Arabs have on the West. Winky, you know as well as I do that everybody's not happy about this. The European Union, United Nations, Russia, the Arab and Islamic world are not at all satisfied with the Trump declaration of the Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights. But uh, you're just going to ignore that and go ahead anyway? Or how is there going to be any peace made with these other players that are 
saying this is not the right thing to do? Well, I think one of the answers was given by a Deputy Minister, Michael Oren, who said if the Europeans want to have Israel play by their rules, they're going to lose land in between each other because, you know, Brussels went to France and Strasbourg will go back to Germany. And, you know, if they're not going to recognize gains in defensive wars, the borders of Europe will change overnight. Uh, of course, they won't do that because they're superior. Uh, they're, they're not like us. Uh, we're a special case. Uh, well, I'm very sorry to tell Europe that uh, on this time, we've got America, and you can stick with whatever you got. <laughs> That's a pretty good response. By the way, that would uh, make be applicable to the United States as well. They have to give Texas back to Mexico. Also, California. Now, they can do California, but we're not going to mess with Texas. <laughs> I'll tell you that for sure. Well, uh, with all of this going on and where we are in Israeli history as of now, we're approaching quickly the national elections, which will result in an election for a prime minister. How is this going to affect those Israeli elections? Well, Jimmy, most people now, I mean, I have to tell you the truth, you and I go back a long time. We've been, each of us have been covering elections for many years. Elections now are more and more about people or persons rather than party platforms, ideology, and even issues. It's coming down to the why now. We've got about two weeks left. It's a matter of who do you have the most confidence in to lead the country? That's going to be the choice. People are going to go, well, Mr. Netanyahu has actually kept us out of war for most of the part with all the problems. Diplomatic victories and and trips and connections with even arab countries all over the world india brazil etc or someone who was a former head of the uh, army has no experience whatsoever and the one commercial company that he ran after leaving the army uh floundered and went bankrupt people do talk about the social issues and economic issues and and even security but the, it's, as I said just before, to rephrase it, who do you want as the person to be the head of the country? That's a major difference from about 20 years ago or so, uh, and I think that's going to be the decision that's going to turn on who's going to be elected, whether it's going to be the Likud party and Mr. Netanyahu or Blue and White or any of the other parties that are running in the elections. When you're upcoming to an election and the polls are taken, that's really simply a snapshot of one day, what everybody is thinking that day if the elections were to be that day. Give me a snapshot of the upcoming elections on April the 9th. Now, I'm asking you to kind of project into that time, but what are your thoughts? I understand that Netanyahu and the Blue-White Party have grown to a position where they're equal in the polls, and it looks like Netanyahu can make a dash for the gold line and become the prime minister again. Well, there are three factors. I'll, I'll just keep it to three factors. Up until when we're talking now, Jimmy, Likud has been slightly behind blue and white. And as you said, they're now equal, which means that perhaps Netanyahu is gaining in a sense of momentum. That's one point. The second point is just broke this week the fact that uh, Mr. Gantz might be investigated himself. I mean, one of the key issues that he's been battering away at Mr. Netanyahu 
has been suspected embezzlement or bribe uh, or other type of what we call white-collar crime. And he himself now is, is uh, an object of uh, public interest that might sink him. But the whole issue, and some of our listeners might not grasp this, but we've been through this before, Israel is a parliamentary democracy, which means that usually no one gets 61 majority votes in the 120-member Knesset parliament. Therefore, you have to have a coalition. At the present moment, the largest number of parties gaining seats have all been committed to Mr. Netanyahu, what we call the right wing or the nationalist wing in uh, Israeli politics. Uh, Mr. Gantz and his friends don't have the ability to overcome that. Uh, and so I feel fairly confident that we're going to see another Netanyahu victory. Wow. He is the longest-serving prime minister in the history of the state, the modern-day state of Israel, as it is right now. And Winky believes that's going to continue on into the future. Winky, enjoyed the conversation today. Congratulations on having the prime minister and Mike Huckabee come out to visit you there in Shiloh. And when we come our next time on a tour, I guarantee we're going to be there with our tour up in Shiloh. So thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you there or hearing you on the radio in the near future. Jimmy, thank you very much for having me on, and goodbye to you and our listeners. Well, let's change the region of the world from the Middle East to the European Union. Our broadcast partner there, John Rood, he lived in Brussels, headquarters for the European Union, for over 30 years, knows the lay of the land throughout all of Europe, traveled into all of those locations, even traveled into the Middle East as well. John, we're going to leave the Middle East up to other broadcast partners but uh, I don't know where to start to ask you questions about Brexit. Let me start someplace else, and then we'll get to Brexit. The European Union has made a decision. They're not going to recognize Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights. Of course, everybody's aware of the fact that America has recognized Israeli sovereignty over this very special location in Israel, high security as it relates to the Jewish state. But the European Union, not going to recognize that. Do you have any idea why? Well, the European Union is sticking to their previous position, of course, which they feel is in line with the international law, the UN security resolutions. And so President Trump, a declaration on behalf of the United States to uh, recognize Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights, this is a decision akin to the United States recognition as Jerusalem as a capital. So the EU members of the Security Council, France, Great Britain, Belgium, Germany, and Poland, they're having a special conference trying to figure out what to do about this particular declaration that has gone against their party line for some time. Uh, Russia and Arab League have kept their positions as well. So the United States is really a forefronter in uh, bringing recognition to this particular need, which is very, very substantial. And uh, Israel, of course, needs to go on heights in terms of security reasons, and the United States has made a strong decision to proclaim that. The EU, they're just sticking with what they've done all these years since 1981, but they don't know quite how to deal with this declaration. Well, I talked with one of the Israeli leaders who made this statement, that actually the European Union 
had better come along with uh, the recognition of the Golan Heights as the sovereign property of the Jewish state of Israel if they are going to continue to have a relationship with some of the countries who during the battles in Europe, even the world wars, gave up some land or captured some land. The United States, the same as it relates to Texas and California. If you win a piece of real estate in a defensive battle of some type, a defensive attack on the enemies who are trying to take your land or trying to destroy your nation, you have a right to the land. So they have to understand that principle there in Europe, do they not, John? I believe so. It has not been consistent. The EU, of course, has been consistent in the sense of usually taking a uh, anti-Israeli stand. So again, we're seeing, Jimmy, more polarity. The United States on, on the frontier is giving strong indications, which is very, very nice to see. What, uh, and in fact, John, I don't know where to go as far as Brexit is concerned. I do not want to get out in front of my own skis. Uh, and I don't know that you want to do that. You're going to not be a prophet nor a son of a prophet on this prophecy program. <laughs> but where are we? I mean, just give me a couple of brief well, statements as it relates to Brexit, the fact that uh, Prime Minister May is willing to resign. Just give me your thoughts. Well, we have the situation now. We've arrived at March 29, and this was the original Brexit date. It's certainly being delayed now. We have April 12. Britain can leave the uh, EU without a deal unless there's a fresh delay. Now, after monitoring the European Union 30-some years, I can expect there will be some deal, let's say, but I would call it more of an arrangement. It'll probably be some type of late-type arrangement. If we go beyond April 12, then the United Kingdom will need to participate in the European Parliament elections, which can create a big headache for the European Union. Prime Minister May has said she will leave. Uh, the timetable is not certain, but she will be leaving, and so now we're leaving new place for a new conservative prime minister. I would say bottom line here, Jimmy, is that all of the delays plays more into the EU interest into, than that of the United Kingdom. Well, it's certainly a bollygon, as they would say in Israel, and we don't know exactly where it's going to go, what's going to mean in the future, except uh, John and I have read the last chapter, the European Union, the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, and that's an absolute, seemingly more close now than it's ever been before. John, just stay on top of it for us, and I'll try to figure out, or maybe you can send me a question or two that I should ask you next time we get together, but we'll do that next week. Thank you. My my pleasure, and I'm sure we can expect surprises. We'll stay on top of the story with our good buddy and broadcast partner, John Rood. Dr. Don DeYoung now comes to this broadcast table. He's head of the science department at Grace College there in Winona Lake, Indiana. He's an astronomer. He's a good friend, and I love his book on astronomy. Almost every night, Don, I go out and I look at the skies above, and I think about your book. I go in and find out my answers to my questions from your book on astronomy. How could somebody get that book if they would like to get a copy of it? Well, appreciate that, Jimmy. Yes, stargazing is a wonderful uh, hobby. The book Astronomy in the Bible, it's probably Amazon would be the best place. I can tell you Don's book on astronomy is a great buy for what it costs. It's, it's not very expensive at all. It'll be helpful 
when you get involved in the hobby as I have of stargazing. It's a, it's a wonderful, exciting activity. Well, Don, I sent you an article earlier this week about NASA, and they have shown a huge glacier in the area of Greenland that is growing, a contradiction to global warming. Talk to me about what is the report, what have we found out, and what does it mean? Well, Greenland has, of course, lots of glaciers, and uh, it's one of the major ones that they're talking about. For the last 20 years or so, this particular glacier has been thinning, it's been receding, part of the whole warming story. However, over the last two years, to the surprise of uh, scientists, uh, this glacier is thickening and it's advancing. It seems to be growing so it seems to be doing the reverse of what was expected. It kind of caught them by surprise. So they've tried to come up with excuses or reasons for the growth of the glacier. And uh, apparently it has to do with um, ocean currents. Uh, we're familiar with El Nino, a warm ocean current. But up there near Greenland, there's what's called the North American Oscillation in the ocean, which is cold water. And that's caused um, the coastline of uh, Greenland to actually go down in temperature, get colder. Well, they also say it's a temporary situation, and uh, the global warming is going to return. Do you think that's real, or are they just trying to look for an excuse? Well, you know, they're forced to say that because warming and climate change is just the popular idea right now. What uh, they're really saying is the surprise is how connected the state of a glacier is with changes in in ocean water temperature and uh, i mean they're right there's factors they're controlling and so they uh, assume that uh, soon enough this ocean current will diminish and then the glacier will once again start to um, recede and, and thin and go away so that's their big idea of how connected small changes are with glaciers and with the whole world climate I would really take an opposite view um, of their conclusion. You know, for a hundred years, we've had our population of the world double and double again, all that technology, everything we do to the world, and yet the global average temperature of the whole Earth has changed by one degree or less. That shows to me, uh, Jimmy, an integrity, a strength that we have to our creation to an environment that it hardly budges, even with everything that we've done to the world's temperature. Well, it seems to me that a lot of money is involved here, and political power as well is at stake when you see something being contradicted that you're trying to set up governments to handle and deal with and take more control of through the people uh, not doing what they're allowed to do. I mean, this is uh, quite an interesting development, isn't it? Well, it is. There is a lot of funding, government funding, going on right now for research, and it all points toward a you know a warming world. And so the glacier kind of takes an opposite view. So then I have to right away say that it's temporary. It'll change. It may or may not. But again, the strength that we have in our environment that can put up with a growing population and have a very stable temperature, that's, I think, that's what's impressive, how little the climate does change. I think it, it shows um, nature made for our well-being. I think that statement that you have continually made to me when we would discuss this issue as we would have conversation is so key. That over a hundred years, 
a doubling of uh, the uh, population and then a doubling again. We're talking about one degree change in the temperature. That is very amazing. You know, it was interesting to me also, I got the article from a group of uh, Jewish rabbis who were into prophecy and truly understanding the prophetic passages of the Old Testament in reality. Uh, And we know in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, a lot of ecological judgment upon the earth is going to take place. So uh, what we're seeing happening basically is a, I would say, a precursor to what God's plan for the future is. Would you agree? You can certainly look at it that way. It's surprising how these small changes in our weather, in our climate, stir people up and, and get them very interested in this. We do know that in the end times, major changes are going to happen. Even in the last days, the sun getting its temperature up and scorching people, just uh, end-time events. Of course, it's not, in that case, uh, man-caused, but God-caused. So these small things today, yes, they're just maybe a brief hint of, uh, of what's coming. Well, we're going to continue to have conversations with you until the rapture does take place, and then you and I are both out of here. (laughs) We'll not be able to do any more radio broadcasts, but the results of what we've been talking about will be on display in this world. Don, thank you so very much. By the way, just a quick question. How did your hiking and camping with your family in the Grand Canyon go? Yes, we uh, returned two weeks ago from a rim-to-rim hike in the Grand Canyon. Mm. This is in February when it's not a very crowded place. We kind of had it to ourselves. There was some snow and ice in the canyon, but it was uh, wonderful. Uh, That's a corner of creation that's uh, amazing to look at. Of course, we see uh, the Grand Canyon as flood evidence, and uh, there it is before us. So it's a, a, a good exercise to hike the canyon. Well, I'm so glad you guys are back safe. Thank you so much. Thank you for the conversation today, Don. Thank you, Jimmy. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have one half hour left, and David James is going to come talking about the books written by Sarah Young. You need to hear that conversation. All ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to the final half hour of Prophecy Today. So glad you could join us for this 90 minutes. We give you information coming basically from our broadcast partners who look at current events. And when we take a look at the book, we tell you what the prophetic significance of all those events are, helping us to understand the urgency of the moment. And in just a moment, we're going to be talking with David James, I don't know if you've ever heard of Sarah Young's books, Jesus Calling and Jesus Always. We'll have a discussion about those books, the author, and whether we should be reading those books from a biblical perspective. So glad that you're going to be able to hear that conversation. It's very key. Well, thank you again for coming. I have a poll question, as I do each and every week. It's on my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to the home page on the left-hand column. If you'll scroll down, here's the poll question. Since President Trump signed an executive order declaring Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights, and since God gave the Golan Heights to the Jews some 3,500 years ago, Joshua chapter 20 and verse 8, do you think that President Trump made the right decision in light of Scripture and indeed Bible prophecy? 
Now, that's the poll question. Please answer it, if you will. Go to the homepage, prophecytoday.com. While there, go over to Joshua Travel. You'll be able to find out about our upcoming tours to Israel. We do about eight a year. We'd love to have you come and join us. It's a great time. The boys, Rick and Jim Jr., have just returned from their recent tour in Israel. All the reports from everybody that sent us an email said they did one excellent job. You'll find out that is the case as well. You can find out when you go to Joshua Travel on my website, prophecytoday.com, the dates of these tours, the itinerary, the cost, everything you need to know to make your decision to come join us. That's at my website, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I have a weekly conversation focused on an issue that the body of Christ must have a biblical understanding of. Well, this week, David sent me a review written by Tim Chalice of the most recent book by Sarah Young, which is entitled, Jesus Always. Now, although the book has been out for some time, we have never addressed Mrs. Young's writings, and we felt it would be important to talk about them because of their broad influence, David. I agree. Her books have had a a very broad influence, beginning with her first book, Jesus Calling, which came out in 2004. That particular book uh, got off to kind of a slow start, although it wasn't bad, uh, around 60,000 books uh, in its first year, but it has been picking up steam, actually, over the years, and as of now, it has sold over 50 million copies, and I think has been translated into over 25 different languages. It's based on the idea of what she would call listening prayer, and that's a theological practice in which a person aims to hear messages directly from God. And I think uh, this is very important because she claims to not only hear these messages from God as she interacts with Him, but then she does that and puts pen to paper and writes down those things, writing in the first person for her readers. Well, David, you've introduced us to the books and the author herself, uh, Sarah Young. Could you give us a bit more of a sense of what her books are about, and why is it important for our listeners to be aware of them? Well, she's had a tremendous amount of influence is one reason why uh, we need to be aware of it, the fact that she has sold so many copies. For example, Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker back in 2015 read from Jesus calling to more than a thousand people at the Iowa Faith and Freedom Coalition. In 2017, Louisiana First Lady Donna Edwards delivered copies of Jesus calling to women, prisoners of the Louisiana Correctional Institute for Women, and the books were donated by the next door a nonprofit organization that serves women in crisis and provides Jesus calling devotionals free of charge even White House press secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders reads her leather-bound copy of Jesus calling as a daily devotional before press conferences going back to the books themselves looking at the introduction in the book Jesus calling which again was the first book the author says that she experienced the presence of God first when she was in Switzerland at Labrie, which was an international ministry founded 
by Frances and Edith Schaefer. She says she suddenly became aware of a lovely presence with her, and my involuntary response was to whisper, sweet Jesus. And then she goes on to note that uh, several other times she has had this encounter with what she calls the presence of Jesus. So she feels like she is in the very presence of Jesus, that she experiences an overwhelming sense of calm. And at one point she found herself, she writes, I was suddenly enveloped in brilliant light and profound peace. And she says, this is how I was listening to him by focusing on Jesus and his word while asking him to guide my thoughts. I was not listening for an audible voice. I was spending time seeking God's face. And she goes on to say, uh, of course, I knew my writings were not inspired as only Scripture is, but they were helping me grow closer to God. So this seems to be a very mystical practice that was actually used and has been used historically by other people who believe that they have had some kind of spiritual encounter and journal this uh, encounter. The difference being, in her situation, everything that she writes in these uh, devotionals, she writes in the first person as if Jesus himself is speaking. You know, David, it's always helpful for me that uh, when we are looking at something someone has written or produced, like the film we talked about last week, Moses Controversy, we looked into the filmmaker himself, and we wanted to know something about him. So what can you tell us about Sarah Young? Well, she has a degree in philosophy from Wellesley University. She earned a master's degree in biblical studies and counseling from Covenant Theological Seminary. And the reason she went there is that she had become a member of the Presbyterian Church in America. Her husband, Stephen, is an ordained minister in that denomination and a third-generation missionary to Japan. They served as Mission to the World missionaries both in Japan and Australia. Australia, and I think largely because of her health issues, and she has had some very severe health issues uh, beginning in the early 2000s there back in the United States. She's been described somewhat as a recluse and rarely grants uh, interviews. She uh, apparently does respond to some emails and conducts interviews in that way, but rarely does it in a one-on-one situation. And I think perhaps her severe illness and health problems. She's been in the hospital many times. She has uh, Lyme's disease as, as well as other things. I think this may have led her from an emotional perspective and perhaps per spiritual perspective to desire to have this close encounter with Jesus. But I think it may have led her into some what I would say are unbiblical and potentially even spiritually dangerous practices. And this is obviously going to be passed on to her readers if they think that this is a pattern that they too can follow. I'll have to give a personal testimony here. It's really hard, very hard to write a book. And I know you can testify to that as well, David. You have to really be motivated uh, by something in order to be able to stay consistent and discipline yourself in that endeavor. Do we have any idea what this author's motivation might be for writing these books? 
Well, I think we can always start from the standpoint of believing the best about people. We've dealt with other people's writings, and people often speculate about why people write. And then if somebody hears, for example, that she's written 15 million copies, and actually the it's almost become a cottage industry, a small cottage industry around her books for Thomas Nelson Publishers, which acquired the rights to her books early on. So there's a lot of money involved, but I, I wouldn't go there. In her case, I, from what I can tell, she is uh, sincere. And uh, again, going back to, I think, her health problems, plus her own personal desire to have a personal relationship with Jesus and, and have some kind of intimacy in that, I think she is simply trying to extend that possibility for others, because I think uh, anyone who is sincere about their walk with the Lord, they do want to have a close relationship with Him. And I think she's believes that she is offering a service, although I I think though her motivation might be good, the end result I think is is misguided and is ultimately uh, not nearly as helpful as I think she thinks it, it could be. David, one of the things I'm very curious about is just how popular Young's books are and what people are saying about them. Obviously, to sell that many books, a lot of people must be very positive about them. And, of course, word of mouth is one of the most powerful means of marketing. You're exactly right. One of the first things I do when I'm reviewing books and looking into them, researching them, is actually I go to Amazon and I look at the five-star ratings and the one-star ratings, and I look at uh, how many there are of each one and how many total reviews there are of books. I did that for both Jesus Calling and her most recent book, uh, Jesus Always. She has an amazing number of reviews on Jesus Calling. It's over 17,000 reviews. Concerning Jesus Always, there are only 885 reviews, and here's just a quick sample. This one reviewer says, this book will usher you straight into the presence of Jesus. Another wrote, uh, a co-worker let me read the message written for that day from the book uh, Jesus Always, and it blew me away. I was going through a time of confusion and sadness related to my health. She says she immediately bought a copy for herself. What I found in others is that they bought books and were passing them out, and then that multiplied. So that begins to explain this word-of-mouth marketing, uh, not necessarily intentional on Mrs. Young's part, but uh, certainly it's had profound impact, and people see them as very positive. Okay, let's set aside the issue of Mrs. Young's writing in the first person from the Jesus perspective just for a moment. Now, let's focus on what she's saying. Are there biblical problems with what she's actually saying, David? Well, as I have read in both books, I haven't read them in their entirety, but I have read quite a bit from both of of these books. And I would have to say that, no, in general, uh, she doesn't say anything unbiblical, but I think that it actually presents some of the problems in an uh, ironic way because they aren't out-and-out heresy, and they do tend to reflect biblical truth. People will get the impression that she truly is hearing from Jesus and that Jesus is essentially telling her 
what she writes or what she is writing down, what she actually hears from him, which would encourage others to, again, engage in the same practice. And I would also say this, that to say that you're speaking for Jesus is a very dangerous thing. We read in Revelation 22, we're not to add to the prophecy, uh, particularly of the book of Revelation. Uh, Proverbs 30 says not to add to God's words, lest he rebuke you. Deuteronomy, in a couple of places, it says that uh, you're not to add or take away from uh, God's word. And this definitely is adding, and Jesus is saying things that I would contend he is not saying. David, have you been able to determine what Mrs. Young's view of the Bible is? And does she not see the problem of what amounts to adding to God's revelation through the apostles and the prophets? Well, she understands and she has said that she is not writing in an inspired way, but she does believe she is hearing from him. So she's trying to walk a very fine line here, and uh, I think she doesn't hold the Bible in as high a regard as she should. And, And for many people, they're going to read her works more than they would the Word of God. Well, as we conclude our discussion for this week, what would you say, David, are a few of the most significant problems with these books And should they be avoided? I would say they should be avoided. Speaking for Jesus, no matter how well-intentioned, is not a good idea. Uh, She proclaims the insufficiency of the Bible in an indirect way by saying she's wanting to hear directly from God herself. Her deepest experience of God comes through a practice that God does not endorse. We don't find this practice in the Bible. And I think she generates confusion by leading people to believe that she actually is hearing from God, and this would encourage others to do the same, and I think this is problematic. Uh, Good advice as we've researched this subject on the books by Mrs. Sarah Young. David, thank you so much. appreciate your research, your work on this, and the conversation. We'll have another one on another issue next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'll put all our reports from our broadcast partners together, and we'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. 
it is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, we had outstanding reports from our broadcast partners covering current events happening around this world. I'll review these reports in a moment and give you a prophetic perspective on the issues that we have covered. You know, if you missed out on any of these reports, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, go to PTRN. Prophecy Today Radio Network. There we have recorded and archived and itemized each of these reports. We'll be able to help you understand what the conversations will be with each of the partners, and then you can decide to listen to it or not. But I would suggest listening to all six of my broadcast partners. They have some very important information to pass along to you. That's at prophecytoday.com, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and remember to tell a friend about these reports. Well, the reports today included Ken Timmerman. We caught him on the road traveling back home from a recent speaking engagement. We talked with Ken about the opposition to President Trump's declaration of the Golden Heights, especially Russia and Iran, and the Islamic world as well. This is a very interesting development by the President of the United States. There's been talk about it for a couple of months, but now the decision has been made. The world is standing up on their hind legs and barking at President Trump. That's exactly what's going on. But you must remember that the Golan Heights would be key to Israeli security. The Golden Heights overlooks the Sea of Galilee, the Hula Valley. Hula Valley, very productive agriculturally. Two-thirds of the water that is used for the Israelis comes out of the Sea of Galilee. So this is a location that must be very carefully protected for the Jewish state of Israel to even exist. And the truth be known, Jews have been living in that part of the world, the Golden Heights, or Bashan, as it is used in the Old Testament 59 times, which means Golden Heights. That's where they've been for 3,500 years once Joshua took the children of Israel into the promised land, and that's the book of Joshua chapter 20 and verse 8. And by the way, Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40 says that Syria is going to make the first move to destroy the Jewish state of Israel in the alignment of nations, and thus they are going to use the Golan Heights to enter and use that as a base a base that will be militarily used to try to destroy the Jewish state. The Golden Heights key to the security of the Jewish state of Israel today. And then I had a Middle East news update coming from David Dolan. Now, of course, we talked about the Israeli response 
to the Declaration on the Golden Heights, Israeli sovereignty over this key piece of real estate for the security of the Jewish state. But we focused more intently on the Gaza-Israeli battle, the Hamas battle that is taking place, the conflict, especially on land day, the last day of the month of March, that's today, and it helps us to understand why the Palestinian people are not happy with any arrangement that the Israelis may have in the state of Israel. They want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. That's in their covenant. That's exactly what they want to do. They're not going to stop this conflict until that has happened. And it's going to even continue on through the tribulation period. Early on in the tribulation period, that seven-year period of judgment after the rapture of the church, when the alignment of nations have been wiped out, there's one group that's not wiped out. It would be the Palestinian people. They will continue through the seven-year period of time to attack the Jewish state in any way, shape, or form that they can. Remember, that's the remnant of Islamic peoples that will still be on the earth. And they're going to do what they want to do until Jesus Christ returns to the earth. At that time, he allows the Jews to destroy the Palestinian people, and they will be as if they have never been. That's the little book of Obadiah, verse 18. Study it. It's key to your understanding of the Palestinian people and the end of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Winky Madad had some very interesting statements to make about the Israeli responsibility to control the Golden Heights from a sovereign position, which was the declaration by President Trump. That announcement made at the White House on Monday of this last week was key to understanding how the United States and Israel have a partnership now like they have never had before. Again, I must say how important the Golden Heights is to the security of the state of Israel. But again, I have to say as well, this should have been the case for the last many years Those years between the Declaration of Independence for the Jewish State of Israel and the Six-Day War in 1967, those were years when the Golden Heights were used by the Syrian people to try to destroy the Jewish State of Israel. And by the way, Winky said this could possibly set up the sovereignty over Judea and Samaria for Israel as well. John Rood and I talked about the European Union, the Brexit, and by the way, European Union opposed to the sovereignty by Israel over the Golden Heights as well. They must remember Daniel chapter 7, because the European Union will be the revival of the Roman Empire, and that's uh, where they're setting the stage now to make that all happen. Didn't have a lot to report about Brexit. We'll keep on top of that story for you. Don DeYoung talked about Global warming in contradiction. It's one of the glaciers in Greenland, which is getting colder and colder each and every day. The water's not warming like global warming calls for. It's fake news, what you've been listening to. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17 says that the Lord is in control of this world, and only what he wants to happen will happen. There will be judgment on this earth according to chapters 8 and 9 of the book of Revelation and chapter 16 during the tribulation period.
But all of this information seems to indicate that we're looking at a time in history when God's prophetic scenario laid out by the ancient Jewish prophets in his word is indicating we are at that time of the next event in God's plan. That would be the rapture of the church. He'll shout, the archangel will shout, the trump of God will sound, and you and I who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will be caught up to meet him in the air. These reports today from our broadcast partners seem to indicate that rapture could happen even today. And having made that statement, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.